Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 87. This week is a conversation with Lorna Singleton, a basket maker, coppicer and greenwood worker. This is the second of three episodes on a coppice theme that were all recorded at the BH Matt Woodland Pioneers. That's the Bill Hogarth Memorial Apprenticeship Trust. Uh, Before we get into the conversation, I want to say a massive thank you to Will Grattan for becoming a patron of the Building Sustainability Podcast. Uh, If you are listening and you'd like to support the podcast, just like Will, then head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability and sign up and you will be a total star. Okay, this episode, uh, I have wanted to get Lorna on the podcast for ages. I saw her incredible work on Instagram, I think. That might be, I think that was where I first came across her. It's such beautiful, beautiful work. I'll, uh, I'll pop a link to her website and Instagram in the show note, uh, and I'll put some basket shots on the uh, the Building Sustainability website for you. Uh, this episode was recorded in a little churchyard next to the Woodland Pioneer site, um, so expect some background noises, planes, dogs, church bells. Uh, also, uh, there is a slightly naughty word in there in case you are listening with kids maybe listen to this later oh i should also say that by this point i'd had quite a large glass of wine so uh the the conversation's a bit all over the place uh but we do eventually get to talking about the process of how lorna actually makes baskets from oak trees i promise and back at the end enjoy for the money or like yeah. some people that just do coppice contracts so in winter they just get paid to coppice for like wildlife trusts and people like that and then and then do something different in summer or you know just sell like bean poles and pea sticks and stuff like that mm. um yeah it's interesting that though i think mostly people in northwest are making 
products as well from it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's where the value comes into. It's like you could sell a raw stick for, I don't know, however many pounds, but actually if you spend a bit more time converting that into a product, then you can sell it for a few more pounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to balance up, like, how much is that, how much is your time worth and is the time that you need to make it into is that yeah you know does it add up basically like, can you get enough to pay you for that extra <laughs> those extra hours yeah yeah do you ever actually uh like sit down and work it out <laughs> or would you be too afraid i've just done like a, a professional development course and yeah i need to do some of that and it's a bit daunting <laughs> like yeah um i would love to one year and i say this like i get to kind of like halfway through the year and go oh damn i haven't done it yet um but one year starting january and like work out you know like just plot all my time and work out how much time i'm doing on everything and like how much time does the woodland management how much does that cost me in time and yeah i mean i really should be doing that um to put a value on like the even just to put a value on the material. Like, um, Do you know a good... Uh, have you ever read Dick Prennicke's? No. He's the... He went off and went to Alaska and built a log cabin. Oh, right, and, yeah. You know, kind of lived the ideal life. But he, he wrote a diary while he did it. And just... He logs everything. Wow. It's like, you know, did 15 poles today. Uh, you know, the temperature was this. The, yeah. The ice on the lake was this. This is what you do if you live on your own. Well, yeah. <laughs> you don't have anyone to talk to. But like, yeah, he had all that data, yeah. which which would then be totally useful. Yeah. But, yeah. Really good too. So Owen does a bit more of that. So not on that kind of scale, but like he's got um, these like, just like an A4 notebook and he write, every day he writes like what he's done. Mm. Um and he can look back and be like, Lorna came to arrive today and made a 22-inch basket, or, you know, like in 2015 <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's really useful, that kind of thing. And also just that data is useful just to, from year to year to think, oh, I felled more trees last year than I did this year or made more baskets when I wonder why. Or, yeah, mm. it's useful and probably pretty essential <laughs> but you know we're not really the kind of people that are drawn to this work aren't really the kind of people that are drawn to like data collection or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah or sitting and writing or being at a computer we just want to crack on and make stuff so I think that's always a kind of battle of personality isn't it trying to wrestle you yeah, yeah <laughs> what you want to do yeah yeah totally yeah. God, well you know, I don't wish I was one of those people because I like being a maker and doer. Yeah. But it would be helpful to yeah. have that, that aspect of my personality. Part of me is, but I just never quite get around to doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really love, like, like really love being, I get very excited about organising things, like rearranging my workshop so it's, like, really organised and efficient. I love that kind of efficiency and, yeah, and being methodical and, so I do kind of like that and want to want to be that person in a way, but I can't quite ever get around to, <laughs> to doing it. I just live in a mess. <laughs> chaos, creative chaos. That's the other thing. That I, um, so, yeah, a couple of, this is a bit on a tangent, but um, 
yeah, a couple of years ago, I was living the house I was living in was a building site getting renovated, um, and it just made me realise really clearly how chaotic creativity is. In its essence, you need to be like chaotic to let it just emerge and try things, and then, um, I mean, sometimes organised chaos, but mm-hmm. sometimes not. And then, but to be able to tolerate that, I need a very neat, tidy, organised home. Uh-huh. Otherwise, if it's all chaos, I completely melt down. <laughs> so, like, I can handle the the creativity as long as I've got some calm somewhere. So, when you were living in the the place that was being renovated was that utter like it wasn't good yeah. yeah I wasn't I wasn't a very pleasant person I don't think at that time and it was a lockdown so you know everything was difficult anyway okay. yeah uh, <clears throat> you know all of the bad things <laughs> all of the bad things <laughs> it's good to realize those things you I don't know sometimes you sometimes you don't really ever I don't know you don't really ever face them or you just Things just get emerged, like um, things just get merged into your personality or the way you work, and you don't even realise you've adapted to them until mm-hmm. it's difficult. <laughs> and then, yeah, so I hadn't really realised that side of being creative was necessarily chaotic. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely chaos in my life. <laughs> it's essential, I think, though. <laughs> um, anyway, we've um, that, that, yeah, that's total. Total tangent, but uh, so I well, I guess so. You've done the apprenticeship, yep. What did you go into the apprenticeship kind of wanting to be? Like, what <laughs> what was the? Did you have an outcome? <clears throat> no, it was more just um, some kind of like a calling, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I well, I wanted to move back here, back home and try and find some sort of way of life that wasn't working in tourism and hospitality. Because that's the norm. That's the other, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so most, yeah, it's quite hard to... Well, actually, no, so now it's not... Like, there's lots of people that freelance and um, do lots of creative stuff, but back then I wasn't really aware of it um, and, like... You have to create your own employment. You don't just get offered a job in something cool and creative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, part of it was wanting to move back here, wanting to do something outdoors. Um, I mean, I think all of these things I realised afterwards. I kind of found it and then thought, oh, yeah, that would suit all these parts of my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be my own boss and do what I want to do. What to do something creative and and always a big driver was wanting to do something that well not wanting to do anything that was negative on the environment Mm -hmm. but actually it's even better because it's really positive so that was like a total bonus um so yeah when I started the apprenticeship I didn't really know what part of it I was gonna like um Mm -hmm. yeah or what if I was gonna pick a craft or you know I didn't have any idea really I was just going in and do you remember like a moment when when particular things kind of jumped out at you and you went oh yeah that's gonna be my thing 
Yeah, so it was even before I started the apprenticeship, a, um, a friend I was living with at the time booked onto Owen's course and said, I think you'll like it, come along. So I did, I went on that Owen's three-day course making a swill basket and uh, yeah, that was like, it wasn't like a major like light bulb, aha, this is it, it's like fireworks moment. It was just like, yeah, I could do this, this is, this feels right. And um, so I did ask Owen if I could be his apprentice, like official apprentice. And like at that at that course, or um, no, it was a bit later when I so I applied for the apprenticeship and didn't get it. Um, and so at that point, I asked Owen, um, and he was like, "I just you know just can't really fit an apprentice into his life." But he did think I had an affinity to the material, and he'd happily like show me and give me some time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but then when I start, I did and then got an uh, an apprenticeship place. And in the first year, I tried all sorts. I was trying like weaving hazel hurdles and making gates, like cleaving oak for gates, and tried a bit with a greenwood furniture maker. Um, pretty soon realised that angles and accuracy aren't really my thing. <laughs> really loved furniture, but yeah just it boggles my head trying to get that accurate so like basket in a way is really really suits me as well because it's a continuous like wrestle of the material you're continually continuously like battling it and and you can manipulate it more as you go along as well so it's not just like this this like hole that you drill determines how the whole thing looks (laughs) you can it's like more of a continual process so and I'd always done a lot of textile stuff as well, so basket making just, um, yeah, worked for me. Yeah. I understood it, understood how to put stuff together. By the end of the apprenticeship, I'd got a bit more into, like, uh, I got to sell firewood and make charcoal and, like, um, and mostly because of the business I was in, I suppose. The business I was apprenticed to was hazel restoration and doing a lot with hazel. And so, and, yes, I'd gone down that kind of route and right at the end of the apprenticeship I slipped two discs in my back um, yeah, and had to have like basically have like a year and a half or like just lying down or walking I was all I could do lie down or walk um so that was like a good cut-off point of like because it's really hard when people are asking you for something it's really hard to say no I'm going to make these baskets that I'm take ages making out and can't make any money from mm-hmm. um but I want to do it rather than like, accept the money that people are trying to give you. But that was a good point to to draw a line on other things because I physically couldn't do it. And yeah. I spent a bit more time learning how to weave. And, um, yeah, that's what I've focused on mostly since. And did you start your business? So my understanding is the third year of the apprenticeship yeah. is kind of starting your business. Uh, like, did you start it? being a basket maker no um so it's a start it was i think i call my business like copies crafts or something like that so yeah it was just all sorts and god i can't remember what i was doing (laughs) i can't remember (laughs) but then how how sort of has it developed you've obviously found a bit more of a niche yeah yes um i can't remember when it was if it was at the end of my apprenticeship or just after i 
went on a course, a basketry course, making ash baskets with um, Jamie Newtacone from America and learned how to make his like fancy, fancier baskets. And then mm-hmm. I suddenly thought, oh, right, yeah. I was struggling. I wanted to make swirls, but I was struggling because they took me like a whole day to make one mm-hmm. and it was pretty horrific. <laughs> not, not necessarily enjoyable experience. And and at that point, I think Owen was selling his standard size baskets for like, I don't know, 50 quid. And like, I just physically can't do that work for just 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so suddenly seeing a different way of weaving with wood that could make a fancy basket that you could potentially sell for more money and also use less material so you know having to do so much of that heavy work especially Mm -hmm. at that time when my back was knackered um yeah that was that was a bit of a light bulb moment as well so then and then had some mentoring from sebastian cox as well in london so um on of how to sell to like galleries and other retailers as well because I found at that time that was really difficult to find any any like model of a copies business that wasn't selling at you know just selling at fairs and mm-hmm. uh, like farmers markets and things and, and I knew I wanted to sell my stuff in a bit of a more like curated fancy setting so they looked expensive and I could sell them for more yeah. money um yeah so Sebastian was really good at guiding me in that as well and we made some products together and and yeah and the, the bags have done the lal yak bags have done really well as well since then so that's like lal 10 yak. years lal yak means little oak little oak uh-huh. like dialect so is that a style of bag already or is that something you have created it's sort of um yes it's my it's an oak version of an american pack basket nice so like they're like pounded ash pack mm-hmm. baskets yeah and jamin <laughs> jamin was making like a smaller purse he called it um mm. yeah smaller version of that so that's why i made an ash version of that on a course with him and then was like i could do this in oak and spent a bit of time trying to work out because they're very different materials really trying to work out how to make it work in oak um and went on a leather working course to work out how to do the leather as well and are these the ones with the the beautiful lids? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. Nice. So, so that's really nice as well to do. But leather work and sewing and that always suits me quite nicely. And it's nice to be able to use the oak bark, tans, leather as well with the oak basket. Mm-hmm. So, really enjoy making that. They're lovely, and they all come out a bit different as well. And yeah, I don't like. I try not to. I don't weave them around a former or anything, so I'm not making the identical baskets. I mm-hmm. like with those. I think because the swills are so like rigid and structure and pattern, and with everything else I make, I like to just like freestyle, freestyle it. Yeah, yeah. See what comes out. See what I give birth to. <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> and then, um, how much of your business? Sorry, I feel really soulless asking business questions. <laughs> Like how you well, I don't know where else to go. <laughs> <laughs> go on, that's the soulless question. Uh, so, how much of your business is the thing you love doing, and how much of it is the things which you know uh, make the money but don't necessarily like you know set your soul on fire? 
Um, I like most. I like all of it. Yeah. So. But the um, the, the baskets is the. Yeah. The, if you could be doing. But also, if I think if I had to do that five days a week all year round, I don't know if I'd enjoy it so much. I really like teaching. Mm-hmm. I don't wouldn't want to teach like every week. I do find it quite exhausting and like to just hide away on my own and weave baskets. But also it's nice to get out and be sociable. So it's nice balance between, yeah, being on my own in the zone, weaving by myself and then getting out and meeting people and sharing the skills. And um, and they're the main income streams, really, like teaching and weaving and making baskets, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's other things. Uh, yeah, so some, some things that I begrudge slightly at times, like, having the shop in my workshop mm-hmm. um i do sometimes begrudge having to talk to people <laughs> um <laughs> but you know they come in and buy stuff so i don't so i like i don't begrudge them completely um and and it's really nice you know to engage with people and quite often people tell their stories or yeah um so i've just learned it's quite new in my business to have that shop zone in my studio um, so I'm like just learning really what, like how to manage that time a bit more so I'm open at certain times and not open all the time so I've still got days where I can yeah stick my headphones on and ignore the world mm-hmm. um, yeah I think it's just about trying to find the balance <laughs> I think it's quite a good balance of yeah being in the woods making stuff being out being sociable yeah so actually too much admin time which i'm sure everyone says <laughs> way too much admin time i wish some I w- yeah i'd quite like to get someone else to do that mm-hmm. outsourcing the admin mm. yeah social media oh but then <laughs> there's always a uh, but yeah social media quite often i mean i don't do it very well or very often and sometimes i hate doing it um but then you get that personal connection with lots of people I wouldn't want someone else to do it because I'm nosy and I want to know mm-hmm. who's messaging me and, and like who's responding to my posts and I don't want that I don't want that disconnection from like peers and customers I want to have that yeah so even the bits that I don't particularly like I still quite like in a way <laughs> yeah it's all it's sort of yeah it needs to be in moderation every, every part isn't it yeah it's funny talk to different yeah admins like i'm sure that's a major problem with most craft people uh, it's funny chat, chat, chatting to people about how they manage it so some people like just have a day a week where they do admin but um that completely overwhelms me mm-hmm. and like a whole day of having to sit at a computer is just like so depressing i prefer to yeah the moment i'm on a swing of like doing it in the evening i can just like do a little bit in your free time yeah 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 <laughs> i don't have a life <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what i do and i think god this isn't healthy is it no but it's the only time i'll allow admin to happen yeah. because the other time feels like work time yeah uh, yeah admin doesn't feel like the work yeah so I've, i'm in a bit of a diff i'm not doing like full days in the workshop at the moment partly because of like health issues but also having a young dog yeah. so I, I do like four or five hours 
and then I need a break anyway. So I'm almost doing like split shifts. So I like break off at like early afternoon, go and walk the dog, chill out, make my tea, or, you know, eat whatever. And then I like do a little bit in the evening. So I feel like I'm not like doing extra time. That, <laughs> I'm not doing that that extra healthy. time. I'm doing like yeah. split shift. Because yeah. <laughs> I'd be like eight hour day work. Then <laughs> God, no, no, I've done that so much in the past. Of admin and then yeah. eventually crawl into bed. Yeah, and yeah. And then get up and do the same. And yeah. then <laughs> at some point I have to have a social life as well. <laughs> I've heard of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is at events like this, which is also work. <laughs> so that's not really count. Yeah. How do you see like it developing like in your own craft and then also kind of as a an industry, the coppice industry? Yeah. It's interesting, the craft, the craft well, the, like, coppicing world, I think we're in a little bit of a bubble in the northwest because the apprenticeship's been running for so long now and that's, like, it's created this lovely community of coppice workers um, and it's sort of... I don't think that's necessarily the case in all parts of the country. There's a lot of people work very so like very solo. We're kind of very, like, collaborative here people share tools around and like share jobs and chat to each other about pricing and like <laughs> I think that apprenticeship mentor kind of model has created a really lovely world um I think spoon carving's been like a really positive input into the coppicing world yeah. see more people so I've noticed this year here at Wooden Pioneers there's more people that already have some kind of level of skill just from like you know to carve and hold mm-hmm. a knife and um that wasn't necessarily the case even like five or six years ago a lot of people turning up they never touched a tool or, so that's like feeding in i don't know if some people will end up trying to move on from spoons and do something else or yeah try and source their own i don't really know anything about the spoon carving world but well yeah a lot, like that's kind of shifting to bowl carving as well bowl mm-hmm. turning as well a lot isn't it so i think Bowls are the new spoons. Yeah, aren't they? <laughs> and bowls need more wood, so you're gonna to have to like source wood a bit. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Then you need to look at woodland management. Yeah, and... yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how if that will relate to more people doing it for a living or not. I don't know. Um. Yeah, my craft. Where do I see that going? I really need to focus on teaching it well but I really need to focus on trying to pass it on trying to pass these skills on and how why people aren't getting into making oak baskets because I know why they're not <laughs> it's go on tell us why not fucking hard <laughs> it's ridiculous like why would you make a basket out of oak um no there's all sorts of partly it's because Owen and I haven't really got the right set up to teach somebody that kind of hermity introvert solo working mm-hmm. vibe doesn't really suit well to having an apprentice in your space <laughs> all the time and it's and it, it's a kind of mix of um really physical you know chainsaw and moving oak around splitting oak uh, it's, it's an intense you need a lot of strength you need to be quite physically capable and then weaving a basket, which is quite delicate and 
Um, I mean, you can weave a rough basket, but still it needs quite a level of like focusing down and um, yeah, getting in the zone and weaving a nice basket is mm-hmm. like, so it's kind of precision it, in there, and, yeah, and offsetting the like the, the force maybe of yeah you know, making the material. So it's kind of straddles like the green woodworking and the basketry worlds, where like a lot of people make baskets, but out of kind of softer materials. They I find on courses, basket makers don't necessarily have the strength needed to process all the material but then make a lovely basket when they do. Mm. Um, this is totally generalising. Yeah, and like green woodworkers might like, get really stuck into like spending hours shaving a bit of wood, <laughs> which is what you need to do, shaving lots of bits of wood, um, but then really struggle with like putting a basket together into a 3D structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of problems with it. And do you feel... I um, I've got the impression that you, you feel like a sense of duty to pass on. Yeah, totally. Because I Because if I don't pass it on, then that's it, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And it used to be like a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, massive. So, um, like the the village local to here, there was, I've got these old, like the old version of like a yellow pages from like the 1900s. and there was, and it lists like all the basket making workshops in the local village. There was like six or seven, like just in the one village. Um, but there was a big ironworks there. There was this like, um, there was a kind of soap making place. And like it was really industrial. The Lake District was really industrial landscape. Um, and a lot of it fed into like baskets were made for like the bobbin mills that made the bobbins for the Lancashire cotton industry. So it was like, um, yeah, behind a lot of like the industrial revolution kind of activities, there were swill baskets. <laughs> wow, that seems like an odd juxtaposition of you, know, yeah, like using a natural, like heritage craft product <laughs> for an industrial yeah. process. Yeah, so they uses like weights and measures quite a lot. There was one that was made that was like a scoop, like pointy at one end and like scooped, and that was used for shoveling coal into steam trains and sh- ships really like, yeah. using oak to shovel yeah yeah coal. They, sh- they make a basket to shovel coal <laughs> and then the charcoal industry as well so like um the old like earth burn charcoal method the baskets were essential for that for scooping up the charcoal into and i suppose the iron was so precious they didn't want to use it for spade i don't know why didn't they just use a spade mm. <laughs> i don't i'd never thought of that yeah <laughs> Yeah, so in that in that village where there's like six or seven swill workshops, they'd have like you know up to a dozen people working in there, and apprenticeships and masters, apprentices and masters, and and that all across the south, all across South Cumbria, there's multiple villages with that many workshops in. It was a, yeah, it was a big deal. And how many uh, oak swill makers are there now? Two full time, one part time. So <laughs> quite radically different in the 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 endangered craft list. Yeah, yeah. You, so. critically endangered. Yeah, hazel baskets are as well. That's some critically endangered, but there are like that's a lot more accessible. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's 
like a dozen or something people maybe under maybe just under but yeah there's lots more people that have been that can do it or have learned and could do it again and you mm. know, that's the kind of thing you could learn and then do it afterwards whereas oak baskets it's a lot more like equipment heavy and you need a lot of space which isn't comes at a bit of a premium in the lake district um, yeah is it is the material particularly perfect here the trees and why does it exist in the lakes or this sort of area of cumbria rather than you know why is it not a surrey thing or anywhere else in the country um uh, well baskets are always just were always just made from what materials you had so mm. not like now we import materials or buy stuff in like you would just make what you had nearby we do have a lot of oak I suppose a lot of the, like in the history of Cumbria, a lot of the flat land is agricultural and the rest of it is like craggy, <laughs> inaccessible woodland. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so basically you're not going to use like your prime growing area for like willow or anything else and um, that industry never really emerged. And also, this is a total theory of mine that I have no proof about, but our bigger oak trees get shake quite badly. Um, shake, is... shake is like a fracture in the tree, in the growth rings. So you get, when you fell the tree and look at a disc of it, there'll be like a star shape fracture inside it. Which obviously, if you're if you think of what oak is usually used for, like buildings and or ships historically or um, furniture, um, and you want to get like nice planks out of it, you can't do that if you've got all these fracture points that are just gonna it's gonna fall apart at those points. Mm-hmm. So part my theory is that then so well they coppiced it before the heartwood developed then um, because it wasn't useful for anything else. So partly that, and partly there's no other material basketry material around and about mm-hmm. there were pockets of it elsewhere there was some a couple of shops near in sterling's or near sterling somewhere and there was, yeah yeah and there was some on the kind of welsh borders they've got really nice oak so i'd love to teach someone down there because that's like better than our oak oh right really nice so you mostly use the sapwood, so you have to coppice it young before the heartwood develops. And, yeah, there's I've seen quite a lot. Um, is it the Y forest? Y forest, which one? I can't remember. Sort of, like, around, like around Budley, there was a... I don't know what county that's in, so I won't try and guess. <laughs> <laughs> but somewhere like a Welsh-English border, um, there was a pocket of oak basket tree there traditionally apparently there's some in Sheffield someone's told me there's some in Sheffield so I think like the apprentices would finish the apprenticeship and like go on a journeyman thing and end up somewhere else and yeah but yeah in Sussex they have chestnut and willow so they make trugs yes exactly like, they've got a different material they make a different basket yeah it sounds like why would you make an oak basket I know uh Sounds tough. You see, you need to have like some sort of, I don't know, dogged determination. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's <laughs> <laughs> really painful and <laughs> psychologically quite traumatic a lot of the time. 
uh, yeah, don't know why. Keep going back for more. I often say, like, if this was a relationship, I would have left a long time ago. <laughs> why do I carry on, like, loving this material? Uh, yeah, but there's something about it. I just do, yeah. But then it just smells so wonderful and it feels so gorgeous. Yeah, and it makes... Then you finish the basket and you fall in love. and <laughs> <laughs> You forget all the hard times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, oh. uh, yeah recently chatting to another another digression I was chatting to another basket maker recently about how to kind of find a good apprentice or good people to work with and um, she has a theory that like athletes are good so if you've got that kind of whatever personality that you are happy to push through pain and misery and then mm-hmm. think it was fun afterwards you're going to be good for basket making yeah which is a good theory yeah I find like a a marathon run yeah or even just like you know there's so many people in Cumbria that live outdoors basically and like mm-hmm. fell run and do all this active stuff and I think if you can do that and think it's fun you might be able to make a basket <laughs> and enjoy it afterwards <laughs> once it's finished <laughs> that was total digression for no, no, you know nice that. business and I money know, questions no, 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 <laughs> rambling the idea of coppicing oak is yeah it's quite a unique, it feels a unique thing. It's not something, you know, when we talk about coppicing, yeah. you know, it tends to be hazel or chestnut. Or oh, that's yeah, what I know anyway, because yeah. I'm a, you know, soft suddenly. <laughs> but, um, like, how common is, is oak coppice? We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Not very. It's very common here once you start looking for it. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's chatting to Mike a bit now. He lives in Wales, in uh, sorry, not Wales, in Ireland, sort of south of Dublin. And he was saying it's just like here, um, loads of oak, loads mm-hmm. of coppice oak. Um, I think that kind of like Atlantic coastline. I think it's quite prevalent, really, oak. And it might have been coppice. It might not have been. Mm. Um, Will it have been? Most of the oak was wanted for, for ships. Wasn't it? Yeah. So kind of big, big timbers. I think um, that, I mean, I'm not not up on my history of it, but I think that use of oak for timber was exhausted pretty quickly in, the, in, in England. And mm-hmm. then, I can't remember which king it was, like actually went to Ireland and like, <laughs> yeah, like floored all their oak woodlands as well. <laughs> like, okay. I'm going to have all that, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's quite a number of hundreds of years before since we've had good building oak in this country. Mm. Never really done much to kind of protect the growing on of it. Um, so what? Yeah, the the oak we use is sessile oak. I think mm. that's different. I think generally the oak that's built for like that's used for like structural stuff isn't sessile oak. It, grows how we want it to grow and that's like a very like 
northern and western sort of rainy environment, rainforest tree. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it blows my mind constantly. I never quite think it's going to work until until like you go in in spring and it's sprouting. You're like, my God, my babies are working. <laughs> um, yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and we chatted a little bit uh, yesterday about like the sort of magic of, of it it's yeah. storing its energy in the roots. Yeah. Um, and then sort of springing back. Yeah, we the woodlands we're working in I've, haven't been um, coppiced for maybe 50 or 60 years. So we're often dealing with bigger oak than is preferable mm-hmm. and um, not as densely stocked as we would like as well. So we also do quite a lot of planting up in the gaps. There's a few patches in the woodland that are they're just really, like really big empty patches. So we, I say, Owen does the like front of the work. I'm totally stealing the glory. Um, and he collects acorns and grow, and like chits them on, and then we like plant thousands of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like naturally, some of it happens when 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 the seed anyway in the soil. Um, and the com- the comparison between how quickly they grow and how quickly the the regrowth grows mm-hmm. is just incredible like the regrowth will be still on an oak could be like six foot in a year which is what you'd think from like a hazel mm-hmm. um and it slows down a bit after that but yeah you get these massive bushy like there can be like 50 or 60 stems and six foot high because it's got all that mature um the mature root system it's got a lot of energy stored in the root system to send those shoots up Whereas, like, the little one that you've planted, the little oakling, just hasn't got that much energy to yeah, send it up. And they grow, it, like, yeah. a couple of inches. It's, yeah, it's cool to see the difference. And there was, I think, one year we even had some, like, some that were a bit... That should have been planted out sooner, so they were, like, a couple of feet high by the time we planted them out. And they've done all right, but, yeah, nowhere near the vigorous growth of coppice it's mm-hmm. incredible that's what it's all about isn't it well yeah working exactly. with nature like harnessing its natural tendencies to 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 our advantage <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like it's um it's a really forward thinking like you know that obviously yeah. the, the thing you've coppiced started off as that that little single you know seedling and then it's it's taken its time and then yeah, every time you cop it, it's going to spring back mm. harder. So it just seems—it seems like an efficiency thing. Yeah, so yeah. Using the, the the system that exists for, I guess, the trees' protection. Is yeah, that sort of what yeah. It is? Yeah. So there's a, the theory that it was like the megafauna—is that the right word? Like when England, well, when England had like mammoths and <laughs> whatever, like the that the trees would get trampled or eaten and then that's their like co- survival mechanism uh-huh. to grow back after trampling go back hard yeah yeah <laughs> go and have it <laughs> is that the best you can do mammoth come on <laughs> i mean obviously that's not been necessary for quite a lot of thousands of years mm-hmm. um but it's so cool that humans have like watched that happening and Tuned into it. it. Yeah. Like that's a real 
knowledge of nature, isn't it? As being part of it to yeah. sort of see that, understand it, and then work with it. I'd love to know when who made the first oak basket. When I mean that kind of baskets don't survive well in the archaeological records because they just rot. Mm. Or like people wouldn't have even kept them. People like you know you get a hole in it, you just chuck it in the fire. Um. Yeah, but I'd love to know what lunatic thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and, yeah, there was a guy, like, 20, 30 years ago on the shores of Windermere was making oak baskets and he wasn't boiling the oak, so he would, like, soak the logs in the lake for, like, a month and then manage to split it. No, he wasn't in Windermere, never mind. Anyway, but, yeah, he would soak the logs in water for, like, a month and mm. then managed to, like, split them down and make a basket out of them. So I suppose maybe that was, like, an earlier form, just soaking it Cause, uh, you well, it. I guess that's a thing we haven't spoken about. The process, like, we've talked about how involved and hard work it is. Yeah. Like, what actually is the process? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just mystically saying it's really yeah. difficult. <laughs> you know, just have we to believe us. So yeah. then you get an apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so he fell a tree, fell an oak, preferably one with a small diameter with lots of sapwood, um, split it down with wedges. Um, so you actually chop it into, like, set lengths, at first, which become the different components of the basket, then split those down with wedges before we extract it from the woodland. Um, and then, so, like, a 8 to 10-inch diameter stem of oak um, would get chopped into like eight or something and then we knock the heartwood off so you've just got like a billet of like the edge of a pie <laughs> like a billet of um, oak and that goes into a big metal trough like a kind of agricultural trough it looks like um, and boiled up overnight while that's getting up to a boil on the first day a hazel sticks a dress um like a side off that to create one um like yeah one edge down the side of it um and that go gets steamed in the top of the boiler and bent around and that's makes the like rim of the basket which is called the bool and then the next day once the oak's been like boiling overnight the next day it's split um, using some arriving knife, but it's just like kind of like a throw blade, but the handle just comes off the end rather than sticking up at a right angle. So it's just a blade. And you knock it in to the end of the wood and then tear it apart. And you just keep doing that and doing that and doing that until you get an almost weavable <laughs> bit of oak. What, what um, sort of thickness that be? Well... Sort of like one to two mil, probably. I mean, it depends on how nice the oak is. Um, it's more about the feel than the mm -hmm. um, than the the look of of it. Um, yeah, but about a couple of mil. Um, so that's like a whole day of riving out of the boiler. It's really nice and hot, and you have to just like slap your thighs to cool your hands down. It's quite fun, and it smells amazing. Like like hot apple, like stewed apple or kind of vinegary like, sometimes. Like a sort of like really tanniny red wine. Oh, right, okay. Like, mm. 
yeah. yeah, I suppose that's the tannins. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it must be just the tannins. Oh, I'll have to try and smell that one next time. <laughs> Think about the red wine. Yeah. Yeah, so you get this like oaky facial every time you open the boiler, <laughs> like steamed oaky facial and black hands. It's a great beauty look. And those those bits of the basket can dry, so you can you can dry those and store them. And then when you want to make a basket, you have to soak them overnight. I just soak them in the beck, uh, the stream in my workshop. And and then you have to dress them. So certain parts of the basket you dress on a with a draw knife on the mare. And other parts you scrape with a knife on your knee. A bit like planing it, but just with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make it a bit thinner, is it? Yeah, it takes off like the ridges and makes it even along the yeah along the length sometimes like the right the if the material's really good when you get it out of the boiler you can rive it to like almost the perfect but generally it's not that nice <laughs> and you have to do quite a lot of work with a knife and then you weave it and the weaving weaving a basket takes me like 4 hours mm-hmm. after you've done all that other stuff <laughs> so yeah it's quite long process yeah get involved <laughs> that's yeah they're all they're all involved processes yeah and it's not like you can just you can't just go oh i've got a spare a couple of hours i'll weave a basket it just has to be like the night before but in a way i like prefer that to like willow that you have to soak for like a week or 10 days whereas at least with an oak you can be like oh i've got a spare day tomorrow i'll just soak it now and weave it uh, yeah, so in a way, it's like a bit freer than some other mm-hmm. basketry, but <laughs> you just earn it earlier on. <laughs> yeah, I think that that sort of that loops back to to the earlier thing about tracking time and understanding like what all those processes actually take. Yeah, there is a whole lot of time before you sit down and weave a basket. Yeah, yeah, which is making the material. Yeah. So. And even like to the point of having the oak tree, there's like plenty, plenty of trees in the coppice that aren't suitable for basketry that we have to fell first. Well, we have to fell, um, and then they become firewood or benches or like other, other stuff. <laughs> um, and like deer management, deer fencing, making sure no one's get you know nothing's getting in there, browsing the regrowth. There's like, it's quite hard to um, scale all that down to like. What does one basket equate to in terms mm. of preparation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun, very varied and fun um, most of the time. <laughs> it's, it's a sense of experience. It smells great. It looks great. It feels great. People love them as well. Yeah. yeah. And they're absolutely nails. They last. I've got, um, got one that a lady's just given me that she was like that came from her husband's farm and it was probably at least a hundred years old. It's in top nick. It's great. It'll have been used and abused on the farm. They last for a long time and you can repair them as well. So I, th- I feel like in the life cycle of the product, the amount of time you put into making it balances out in the like length of their life. Mm-hmm. Is it hard, hard to? to- price for that <laughs> yeah hard to equate that for for the buyer to think you know i'm buying a product for life rather than the throwaway yeah yeah you know, 
sort of pound shop uh, thoughts of just buy lots of things and wear them. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you've got to kind of take on the culture, <laughs> take on societal norms. Yeah. Um, people, yeah. It takes somebody who really knows their style and isn't really just following a fad or a trend, like to invest that much in a basket. You have to know you love it and mm-hmm. want to have it. Um, but a lot of people come back for more, like buy more and more, or buy them for presents. Or, you know, once I think once you're hooked, <laughs> once they're hooked on them, that's it. It's hard to like convey that though. I like to think, well, why should why should someone be bothered about the amount of time it's taken me to make it? <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should end on like a positive. Yeah, uplifting. What's the what's the takeaway? Round up. Uh, we're supposed to be talking about the apprenticeship, weren't we? Well, <laughs> well no, we talked it's about sort of about coppice. It's coppice in general, oh, right. and like, my interest is about it. Looking at material sources, yeah, particularly, yeah. Um, and also I love crafts. And, yeah, you know, the, the sort of slowness and the purposefulness of it, um, and it all does link into the apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, there's been there does seem to be a bit of a shift i've had more people inquiring about learning or 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 even buying stuff and who've just like a bit of a lockdown thing yeah people wanting to slow down i think everyone was forced to slow down in lockdown well not everyone if you worked in the nhs you weren't um you know lots of other things but like a lot of people were like forced to go nowhere do nothing really slow down and maybe seeking to carry a bit more of that on into their lives and not just go back to the like hamster wheel that they had before um yeah so I've had a few more people trying to like seek an alternative life and get out of that which is cool good in terms of like actually wanting to to change take it on as a career yeah possibly yeah or even just a a hobby for like therapeutic purposes and um, yeah but yeah if you interested in shifting careers and which is great that's great just need to that, find the way to educate them yeah without giving up your, your yeah so i've got my like um shameless plug i've got <laughs> oh yes no sorry that was totally the thing i want to talk about yeah so i've developed a year-long core like my first step in trying to get some more people into the craft so it's uh three days a month for 10 months starting in january 2023 um what are people gonna learn gonna learn hazel basketry oak basketry ash basketry so all, learn the all the processing yeah 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 <laughs> i'm gonna break them no um <laughs> and it's sort of a, a lovely venue that's really close to the woodlands i'm working so we'll get to go and see how to manage a hazel coppice as well or how to source it if you don't want to manage it and how to sort of manage oak um, the hazel the ash is coming from Wales so <laughs> we won't see how to manage that um, yeah so a bit of like the woodland management side of it and also a bit of like businesses stuff and but mostly really like honing the skills and practicing all the tool skills and everything and the weaving skills um, so yeah, just to try and 
offer something more than like a weekend course because you can't expect someone to come and make a basket the end of a bit shell-shocked leaving thinking what the mm. hell have I just done how did I do all that yeah and to have um, the knowledge to repeat it yeah having done it once and is... to go in the way I could never have done this without Owen like I couldn't there's so many times when you just need the like you need the morale and you need someone to egg you on and like comfort you and like you need, just need the moral support um so you can't you, there's no way someone's gonna come on a weekend course and then go off and make them and set up a business you need there's a need for some kind of longer support structure yeah and that's something I really want to try and build more of a community of weaving around me as well I don't really want to weave by myself I want a community around me and if for that to happen I've got to create it so I'm trying to work out how to do that at the moment get more people into it how do people find out about this the course uh, it's on my website, lornasingleton.co.uk. And there's a Learn to Weave page on there. And the course is called Woodwater Weave. Woodwater Weave? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> like it. I now understand the relevance. Now, you, yeah, you get it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is a really essential, like, yeah, essential part of, of the oak basketry in particular is, like, the whole whole landscape. So you need that running water um, that we have an abundance of <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, from the sky um yeah so you, you need as well as the woodlands and working with the trees you're also really like aware of water and I can hear there's a little waterfall at the end of my garden and like you just like subconsciously tuned in to when it's like a total torrent and, and like oh my god is my wood gonna have washed away is it in the estuary by now um yeah, because like the water side of it is quite big as well. We don't really often talk about that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating because I mean, a friend of mine says uh, she's a plasterer, and she says, "I don't work with plaster; I work with water." Oh well, yeah. And it's yeah, the understanding of the moving of water is is so sort of essential to. Well, I think it's overlooked. Yeah, is, is the thing. And there's fire involved as well, which is always good fun. Yeah. But... <laughs> perfect and that's bloody brilliant hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, 
Oh, thank you, Lorna. Especially thank you for talking to me after she'd spent the whole day teaching. Definitely go and check out her exquisite baskets. I'll put a link in the show notes to her website. I'll also put a link to that Dick Prennicky book uh, and film about the chap who goes and builds a, a little log cabin in Alaska, in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. Uh, I put a link to Lorna's Woodlanders episode. Beautiful, beautiful film showing the the process that that Lorna described. I haven't raved about Woodlanders in ages. So go and check out that episode and then go and watch all the others because they are just stunning. There's also a link to Owen Jones's website. He was also teaching at Woodland Pioneers. It was incredibly lovely to meet him too. Who else? Oh, Sebastian Cox's website. Link to that. And a link to Woodward Weave, uh, which is Lorna's course that she was discussing. I think that's all for today. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do share it wherever you can. Um, It really does help us reach more people. And if this was your first episode, then make sure you check out some of the other episodes and subscribe. Right. Until next time, bye-bye.